it's time for customers who click. We've got a really hot topic today and a fantastic guest to discuss it with. Alex McKechn from Spark Retention joins me today and we're going to be talking about retention marketing. It's getting tougher and more expensive every week to acquire new customers at the moment, so it's absolutely vital that brands are putting in the time and effort into the retention side of the business. But it's not as simple as just setting up a few automations and blasting out a campaign every week. There's so much more to retention and definitely more than one retention marketer can do. So let's get Alex on now to talk us through it. Hi, Alex. Thanks for joining me. Um, do you want to just introduce yourself quickly, um, a bit of your background and what you're up to at the moment? Sure. Well, first of all, Will, thanks for having me on. I always say that this is the hardest question of any podcast is like, tell me a bit about yourself. So I've uh, been in the D2C space, e-com for about eight years now, um, spanning a couple of different roles, um, loyalty, returns and exchanges, reordering tools, um, and at the same time, I had my own brand for two-ish years as well. It was a men's grooming brand selling okay. uh, pomades, waxes, hair oils, soaps, that sort of thing. So um, both been on like the tech side of e-com, the brand side of e-com as well. And I also have a retention consulting agency called Spark Retention, uh, where I'm helping brands with their retention strategies. Yeah, I, I talk about a lot about retention, um, but from the point of view of conversion, actually. So it'd be great to to kind of hear what you think about it. But what do you see as the biggest contributor to growth for D2C brands at the moment? It's it's so broad, but like we'll start there and maybe we can like zoom in a bit as yeah. we go. But like cu- customer retention, I do see as like the biggest growth lever for brands as we go into 2022 and beyond. And the reason I say that is you think about everything that's happened over the last couple of years on the acquisition front. Like, I don't know. The brands of 10 years ago, there was just like an arbitrage opportunity basically with acquisition. I could just buy ads for super cheap and I buy them for like $2, sell my items for 15 and like we we're laughing to the bank. Fast forward to today, we got iOS 14, iOS 15. It's becoming more expensive. Competition is like astronomical right now. I think there's 2 million stores on Shopify alone. And you look at like the data that we're able to collect from acquisition as well. Like it's not as good as it used to be. So that that's more or less solved over the last couple of years. We now have to look at like the flip side of that. We have that customer in the door. We've marketed to them. They've made that first purchase. Now, what are we going to do? And that like retention front here, I think, is the biggest thing for people to be focused on right now. And what, what exactly does retention marketing mean to you? What what uh, what aspects does it cover? Because I think a lot of people think of retention as uh, email marketing and and probably loyalty as well. But I think there's there's quite a bit more to it really. Yeah, it's a really good point. And retention marketing as like a function, I would say it's basically about how do you grow your brand through an existing customer? So like retention marketing is all the facets of that. But if you think about a lot of people just say, hey, I'm focused on retention this year. And when you start to like double click on that, like what does retention mean? It's like, oh, well, like I'm just, I'm focused on retention. If we flip that onto the other side and said like, oh, I'm focused on acquisition, like no one would accept I'm focused on acquisition as like a legitimate answer for like, what are you going to do this year? So you're, yeah. you're absolutely right. When we talk about retention, there's so many different things within retention we can talk about. You hit on a couple of them. We got email, we got SMS, we have like that post-purchase experience, got loyalty programs, there's reordering, there is content, there's brand, like there, it, there's so many parts of retention, just like there's so many parts of acquisition. And the thing that I like to talk about a lot is like, there is no silver bullet in retention. And maybe I'm starting to see a lot of people when they're starting to like org around this, it's, there isn't necessarily a retention marketer 
at a brand, a lot of times a retention marketer ends up being more of like a project manager or like a product manager who is looking through the retention lens at a lot of things that are already happening right now. Yeah, I think I think that kind of makes sense. Uh, like you say, you know, you don't have an acquisition uh, marketer or an acquisition exactly. manager who is just the the person responsible for acquisition. I mean, obviously, it's small companies you do. You know, that's just the marketing person or, or the founder. But yeah, when you get to the retention side again, you don't just have a retention person. You have your email team, uh, normally same team as SMS. Uh, Sometimes loyalty normally sits somewhere. <laughs> Um, you know, and you've even got like customer service, you've got uh, the unboxing experience, right? That, that, that's just such a crucial part of retention really as well. You know, if you, if you really wow the customer the first time they open your product, you know, th- that's going to contribute to, you know, it's, I mean, it's not going to get them to, to make a second purchase, but it's going to contribute to that second purchase. Yeah. Imagine, imagine a person like trying to do all of those things. You talked about customer success. Like a lot of times a brand might have like six people in that team alone. Like how is a retention marketer going to be in there in the logistics of like, okay, how long is it taking to ship? Are we updating? Like there's so many different pieces of this. And like one person, I mean, at a small brand, like you said, like one person might be the the person focusing on this and they're going to do everything that they can, but it's very difficult for one person to own all of these different facets. Yeah. And even, even in the brands where you do have a head of retention, which you know you would see as this kind of project manager type role, the person who's responsible for making sure that email are doing their thing and SMS are doing their thing and customer service are, are working towards retention. Most of the time, actually, that from what I've seen, that head of retention just sits within marketing and is responsible for email, SMS, probably loyalty as well, because that's normally triggered through email. They're responsible for finding that balance, right? It's like, if you think about email, there's a lot of email is basically campaign-based, right? It's like, hey, how do I push a new product? How do I get someone to come in and buy? So like, there is an acquisition and a retention angle to email. So like the person who's on the retention side, like it's their job to find that balance of like, okay, email that's acquisition focus versus email that's retention focus. And like, how do we combine those two things? You say it's mainly campaign. I, I might slightly disagree on that. And I would say the focus should be automation. I think automation drives, obviously, when you're doing new product launches and things, that's normally has to be campaign-based. But I think the the automation side of things really heavily drives both conversion, both acquisition and retention. A hundred percent. I didn't say, I'm not arguing that the campaigns are the best way to do it. I think a lot of brands are stuck in that campaign focus mentality. Um, And like on the retention side, like obviously like one, I'd say the like lowest hanging fruit for retention is in your post-purchase email flow. Like there's somewhere where like, there's the automation, like you can really dive in there and do some good. Um, But yeah, campaigns are just, I don't know. It might be, it might be a lot of people working with like email agencies or, or like, Hey, I'm trying to like offload it to a freelancer or something. And I feel like when that happens, you get a lot of focus on that campaign mentality more so than the automation and like the, the flows. Yeah. I suppose what probably happens is, the basic automations get set up, right? You get a welcome flow, abandoned cart, maybe post-purchase. A lot of brands don't, a lot of brands just do the transactional stuff. Um, and then the mentality of, uh, or the idea of let's get sales through email marketing comes from campaigns. Yep. I, I think they view, yeah, so the, the automation almost gets viewed as a, almost like transactional, really. It's like, we have to have it. This is just what every brand does. Let's just get it in places there. 
But actually, what's going to drive us money is the campaign side, when actually it's it's very much the opposite. Yeah, and that's and, and like like I said, it's that balance side, right? It's not one or the other; it's both of these in harmony. Yeah. Um, so, how, how do you go about working out what tactics? Like you said, you know, there's no silver bullet, right? So, how how would you go about identifying what tactics to use for for different businesses? Yeah. So one of the first things I always talk about with any brand I'm working with is this retention marketing matrix. So if you think about like four quadrants where you have purchase frequency along the X axis and you have item value along the Y, we talked about like loyalty seems to be something that everyone wants to do, like a points-based loyalty program. Yeah. Like it works for certain types of brands, for certain types of businesses, for certain types of products, but like that's a, that's a high purchase frequency, low item value. That's where that is the most effective. Think like coffee, vitamins, things like this, where if we go to the other, some of the other quadrants where it's like high item value, low frequency, like a mattress, the loyalty program is probably not going to work for you there, but that doesn't yeah. mean there aren't retention tactics to choose. Yeah, you're, you're right. You know, unless you've got uh, loads of other complementary products that you need to drive people to, a loyalty scheme is going to be tough when your main purchase is, you know, a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, and you're not going to make that purchase again for however many years. You already hit um, on something right there too, with like the complementary products. Like if you're a mattress company, like product ends up being one of the best retention plays that you can make. If you're selling mattresses, or one of my favorite examples is like a piano. If you're selling pianos, how often is someone buying a piano? Twice in their life, but like strings, cleaners, keys, like there's all these other things that you can add to your like add into this to make that to have a stronger retention play than just selling pianos. Yeah. And you've just reminded me of a conversation I was having, I think yesterday or the day before, and I can't remember the specifics of it. I can't remember what the product was, but it was actually this idea that what they thought was the hero product was not the hero product. Actually it was, Oh, I know who it is. It's actually a, a podcast episode that will have come out when this comes out, but it hasn't come out now when we're recording it. If you, yeah, all, all their advertising kind of focuses on this, this bottle. Right. And it's a, um, it's to do with kind of flavored or, or scented water. And when you think about it as a consumer, you think that's their main product, right? The bottle, the bottle that allows you to uh, experience the water in a different way. But actually, the bottle is something that they probably could just give away for free if they wanted to, because it's the, uh, the capsules and the, the flavors that are the thing which sell uh, for, for, for years potentially, right? That's the, yep. that's the actual product. And so, yeah, it's important to to realize that. And and okay, I'm not saying the mattress wouldn't be your main <laughs> product, but there are there are so many opportunities to you know, potentially double double the lifetime value of a customer by selling them cleaning items and and the other bedding that goes with it. Yeah, and like the the bottle and like the capsules is like a really straightforward example. But like, think about a, a company that maybe sells like bathroom supplies, shampoos, conditioners, that sort of thing. Like there's the product strategy of like how you present the products plays a huge role in retention. So like maybe you have a hero product, one that sells extremely well, but people don't tend to come back and buy it as often. Like maybe it's a, a liter of shampoo and no one's going to come back and buy it again for like six months. But what if you start to bundle and place products around that, that like, okay, that hero is what draws people in to make that initial purchase. Can we add a few more things into their cart that have a shorter replenish window? So I'm not waiting six months till I can, like, I have a reasonable 
I have a reasonable request to have them come back and make another purchase. It's like, oh, that one's still going, but maybe the deodorant's out now, or maybe the eye serum's out now. And I have a reason to be talking to you again to potentially get a few, another future purchase. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I've, um, I've actually been buying this tea from a company called Mission. Uh, it's actually the t-shirt I happen to be wearing. Um, <laughs> but the, the main product that I bought was called Energize. So uh, I suppose the idea is I'm trying to replace the coffee that I have three times a day with one coffee and and one of these at a different time. But as part of my introduction offer, I got um, smaller packs, quite significantly smaller packs of three other uh, types of tea. One one called recovery, one sleep, one calm. Right, so they've all got different different things they're targeting, and they're actually all really nice. So now I'm thinking, well, I came in for the hero product and bought a month's worth of it, or in fact, two for me, two months worth. Um, I've run out of these other things, so now I need to go and edit my subscription because I actually do want these other products. And so, really, they they kind of sold me on that one, like what you're saying, hero product, which is the energized one. But because they gave me those samples, which I did still pay for, but a, a much smaller amount, I'm, I've probably doubled my uh, average order value going forwards because I'm going to up- upgrade that bundle um, and yeah. make sure I've got more. Yeah, there's there's the hero product that can that can drive that. There's also like this idea of discovery, right? Beverage is a great example of this. Is like I don't know what flavor I want, especially if I'm buying it direct to consumer. Is no one's going to ship me out a single can? Right. Like I can't just be like, oh, I want to try that flavor. So what's the best way to get someone to cut like get their foot in the door? It's a sample or like a variety pack, right? Hey, here's the 12 flavors all in one pack. And like what a great product to start a relationship off with. Because like you now have a reason in your email strategy to be asking, like, oh, which flavor did you like the best? Hey, come back and buy a full pack of that flavor. Like you've given them the discovery, you've opened the door for them to come and like find out what works for them. And that gives you a fantastic value add reason in your email strategy or what your follow-up is going to be to encourage them to come back and buy something else. Yeah. I mean, uh, Naked Wines, uh, which is a, I don't know if you have Naked Wines over there, but um, it's obviously a wine company. And I think they've done this really, really well. So uh, I'm a a, a Naked Wine angel, which means I, I pay, I put 20 quid in my account every month and then uh, when I actually want wine, I've got the credits in there. Um, but they go and use that money for investments, right? So they'll invest in local uh, vineyards. You know, they they invest in the winemaker producers. Um, but what they'll do is they obviously give you a, a big offer to sign up. So £60 off your first order, um, you end up spending 80 to 100 quid. They ask you to rate every wine that you receive. which And it's I think you rate it on three different uh, kind of qualities of the wine and and just a yes, no, would you buy this again? Then they introduced new features later. Uh, one, was, one was called Wine Wizard, uh, which I think is the one I use, which is literally just every three months, we will send you a case of wine using your credit and we'll charge you if there's any, uh, you know, anything that needs to be charged. And based on your history and what you've been telling us, we'll send you a, a box of wine that we think you'll like. 
That is super smart. I love that tactic. Cause like in the variety pack I was talking about, you're basically just looking at like the consumption behavior to try to figure out what someone likes. But like, there's another layer on top of this where they're actually asking you to rate it because like what you buy versus what you actually like might be two completely different things. Like, I don't know if you're enjoying it with like someone else in your house, but like maybe your answers are actually being influenced by like someone you're sharing this with. And it's not just about you anymore. So like that level of like, I don't know, individualized like information or data that you're collecting on that customer that goes a long way. And again, I'll keep on using this word, like value add. I think we use it a lot in the industry, but like, this is what it really means is like, how do I give that? How do I give the customer? How do I give the shopper something that's for them, not for me, the brand? Yeah, exactly. They, they whole, even the ratings, right? They make the point that everything about the ratings is so that they can recommend you better wines or wines that you will like. They're not, uh, you know, they're not just sending you uh, that email saying, God, can you please leave a review? You, you, you received your product a few days ago. It's what did you think of this one? What did you think of that one? And if you say, uh, I, I, I'm not can't remember if it's if you give it an overall rating or if you just say no, you won't buy this wine again. They then say, Oh, was there anything wrong with the wine? Just uh, don't forget um, if there's if the wine is bad, send it back and we'll replace it. So I love this. I, I need the I need this service because like I still haven't found a wine that I like. I'm not a big wine person, but like this would this would help me get there for sure. It's it's fantastic, and it's it's why I drink way too much wine. <laughs> um, so I just wanted wanted to touch on loyalty programs a bit. Um, firstly, what's interesting is uh, Naked Wines doesn't really have a loyalty program, as far as I'm aware. I, I guess being an angel, you get discounts on the wine anyway. You get invites to to events, so potentially being a, being an angel is just their loyalty program anyway. Um, but one thing you said was. Uh, Everyone, everyone wants a loyalty program. Everyone wants a points-based loyalty program, which is what we see, right? And and you're right, it doesn't work for everyone. Um, do you have any any kind of tips or, or advice on how you can go about creating a an actual valuable uh, loyalty program that adds proper value to the customer and not just saying, "Well, here's you know you've collected a thousand points. Here's a ten percent discount." I have so many thoughts on this that we probably won't be able to get to all of them, but I do have a blog <laughs> okay. post that I put together on this. So I'll give it to you so you can link it in the show notes. So if anyone wants like the full, the full spiel, they can get it. But I think like the biggest thing with a points-based loyalty program is yeah, everyone has one, but even if we scope it to products where a points-based loyalty program is effective, me, like I've stumbled across maybe like one or two that I think are doing it correctly. And I think the number one thing that people get wrong in a loyalty program, especially a points-based one, is that the rewards aren't motivating at all. So I had an example, I have an example where I bought a board game recently. It was $100, so I got 100 points and I'm like, "Oh, cool. Like I'll probably let me check out this loyalty program. Maybe this is where I'm going to buy my board games from moving forward." And it's like, "Okay, you have 100 points. You need to get to 1000 points to get $5 off." So I'm like, oh, I need to spend $1,000 to get $5 off of a future purchase. This brand also had for give us your email, get $10. It was either $10 off or like 15% off. So you're giving me more value to just claim my email address than you're going to give me in value for like continuing to be a loyal customer is me coming back and making one more purchase, or I guess in that case, 10 more purchases only worth $5 
to you? Like, what if you were going to go acquire me for that second purchase? I guarantee you're paying more than $5 just for that next purchase. Well, it comes down to the whole, uh, you know, we, um, we have a lot here in banking, actually. Uh, and in fact, all kind of utilities, right? New customers always get the incredible deals and existing customers just get higher prices. You know, you get it with insurance. Insurance, you, well, that's the thing with insurance. You know, I'm sure it's the same there. If your insurance is up for renewal, you pretty much know that your best opportunity is to go somewhere else and you will get a better deal. And it's just like, there's no loyalty from the company to the customer, but they expect the customer to be loyal to them. We hit on this at the beginning of this episode too, when we were talking about like, hey, retention is a growth lever. I feel like a lot of companies don't see their existing customer base as like a value driver for their business. A lot of people get so like tunnel visioned on how do I grow? I need another customer. I need another customer. I need another sale. And like, that's where that mentality for like the banks and the insurance comes out. I forget what what company it is, but I saw a commercial here in the States where it was based, it was for a cell phone company. And it was like, okay, if we're giving our new customers like a killer plan, we're also offering it to all of our existing customers. I was like, what a fantastic, like one, what a fantastic marketing angle, but like two, they're probably net, like they're going to lose way less people to churn than any of the other providers because they're always making sure that they feel like they're getting the attention of the brand and the best deals and opportunities. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? The, we're always going to offer you the best uh, best deals. I, maybe Maybe if you're locked into a contract, they won't. But at the end of the contract, you expect some sort of offer to be there. Um, I always, I do find it weird how, uh, and this again, it's to do with mobile phones, mobile contracts. Um, sometimes you really often get this offer is only available in store or only available online, and it's like, well, but I'm here. <laughs> just, just give me the give me the offer while I'm here. Don't make me go out to a store or don't make me go you know, from the store to your website. That just doesn't make any sense. You, you see it in e-com too, right? Like it's, it's not in store versus like online, but like th- these, uh, these extra hoops of like, Oh, I only see this as valuable. If you are in the store, I only see this as valuable. If you are online, you see this in like loyalty programs online too, where it's okay. You're going to get, we'll give you more value. Okay. Maybe you can turn your points into $50 but it's $50 and it's only applicable to these types of products and you have to spend more than $100. Like, yeah. It's just these additional hoops and restrictions. Like It drives me nuts. Yeah, you can only get this if you spend yeah, $50 on full price products and, and, and with a minimum spend. And it's like, well, yeah, given that, given that so many stores run discounts the entire time as well. Um, like, and that, that's kind of what I'm getting at, right? It's like, if you're a brand listening to this is like, look at what you're doing on the acquisition side. If you have a loyalty program, like try to see if you're actually giving more value away to someone for just giving you an email or for like coming in for a first purchase, than you are giving to someone who's going to make 10. Like that, that's what I would look at. And the thing you can take a look at to know if you have a problem there is the redemption rate. So like what percentage of points that you are issuing are actually coming back and being redeemed for a reward. If that redemption rate is like sub 20%, no matter how long, like no matter how long your loyalty program has been around, you probably need to give like six months to really see if, if anything's happening. But if you have a low redemption rate like that, it means people aren't seeing value in the rewards that you're offering. So it's not doing anything to drive retention and additional purchase if that's happening. Yeah. It, it kind of needs to be 
I see this uh, this product or this um, or this offer or whatever in the loyalty program. I've got access to it, and I'm thinking, yeah, that'd be cool. Yes, there is something else I want to buy, so I'll just like combine those two and go get it. But yes, so often it's you, you're putting this offer in front of me, but I'm not really that convinced about buying something else anyway. So why would I care about this loyalty program? You know, it's it, you've you've got to be at a certain stage before you even care about the loyalty program, right? And, exactly. and a lot of the time, that's not necessarily straight after your first purchase. There are some things you can do though to try to like help with that, right? So you make that first purchase, and something I say with loyalty programs is register for an account, a first purchase, and like try to make that enough to get the lowest reward. So like you would yeah. spend five dollars in acquisition costs to get that person to come back anyway. So like give them that sense of like, I've earned something. There's a reward waiting for me. Even after, even if it's just your average order value for like the first purchase, plus the amount of points you'd give for creating an account, you got the value of like, you know who they are now. You've got that first purchase and they're now holding something that they need to like forego if they're going to go shop somewhere else. So in my board game example, if they had done that and I had $5 waiting for me, I'm 100% going to come back because like I now have $5 from a previous purchase that I can put towards this. But the fact that I had to buy 10 more times to get anything, like yeah. there's nothing motivating me to come back and make that next purchase. And I think that's like a big thing with retention marketing as well is we get caught up in like, oh, how do we create loyalty? How do we get subscribers? Is that really the point? Or is the point, how do I go from the current order that they're on to order plus one? How do I get someone to yeah. come back one more time? If you're focused on that, you end up looking at like everything you can do rather than like, how do I force someone into a subscription or how do I get someone to quote loyal? Yeah. So on the first purchase, I, I would hundred percent agree uh, creation of account and average order value or whatever um, equals enough points to get $5 off, $10 off, 10% off, whatever. But I've, I've had quite good success with using, uh, with offering the an, enough points for a uh, review or a referral, because those are also things that add value to the business, right? If you really, really want to generate five star reviews, let people know that it, if they review that product they've already bought from you, you're going to give them enough points to then go and uh, get a ten percent discount off off the next purchase. And same with a referral, and it gets even better with a referral because they're referring another customer to you, so they're getting points and you get a purchase. And they're getting reward, which will probably generate another purchase. Hundred percent, like like you said, a review or referral. Like there's some things where it's hey, share share a blog post, share these things. Like there's ways that there's ways that people can provide additional value to the business that isn't making one more purchase. And that's where like a lot of loyalty programs lose the attention of a customer. Is like we said, too many. It's too transactional. It's too like I need to make a purchase. I need to make this many this many purchases to get something. Take that away and do exactly what you said there. Hey, there's points for referrals. There's points for sharing this. There's points for leaving a review. Like, Give them a way to get to that value for that next purchase without needing to make 10 to get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, one, of, one of the best that I've seen that I, I'm, not, I'm not a customer, um, I think they're called Ed, Edgar and Cooper. Edgar and Cooper, uh, dog food brand, I think. And their loyalty points are called belly rubs. And... You can redeem your belly rubs against, uh, I think it's a, uh, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's something like a 10% discount code, a meal for a dog in a shelter, or planting a tree or something like that. I love that. Um, they, they keep it super simple. I think there's, I think there might only be three rewards, 
So you, you can either have a reward for yourself or you can kind of donate your points. Um, and so I tested that out for a client and at their donation uh, donation reward was the top used reward. And now I'm going to caveat with uh, one of their problems was they weren't one of those high frequency businesses. So it was a little difficult to persuade someone to come back even with a 10% discount because, you know, once you bought this product, you don't buy another one and the complimentary items were a bit tougher to sell. So yeah, we, we put everything into this, uh, or not everything. We, we put the focus on the social cause and, and that did really well. And people really liked that. And we saw a decent number of points get redeemed just into that. The, the rewards that you offer are obviously what is going to make someone motivated to go and get those. And like we talked about the redemption rate, like you're going to see good redemption rates if people are into the rewards you offer. And I don't know, I, I, if anybody's watching this, I have my hat on. This is my podcast hat. It's called customer hat. And like when we put our customer hat on and stop thinking like a brand and start thinking like a customer, it's like, are we only motivated by percentage off discounts and dollar off discounts? Like sometimes, but like very rarely am I making a purchase because like someone gave me 10% off or someone gave me $10 off and like being able to donate to something like there's something where I feel like I can become a part of what's going on and like experiential rewards, like adding a VIP component to your program, pass this threshold, start to get these experiences. And like those experiences can be really simple things like a meet and greet with the founder. Hey, if you become like the, a VIP you can sit down with our founder and like ask questions or, Hey, if you become a VIP, we're going to involve you in the creation of our next product. Like if you're an apparel brand, like what does the next line of clothes coming out look like? Hey, you get to be a part of that. Like there's so many different things that you can do on the experiential side where it's a lot more motivating. Like I want that because not everyone can get that. And it comes back to what I said at the beginning. It's like 10%, everyone can get that. Like I can probably go onto like honey or like something on the internet and find a discount code with the same amount. Or you're probably going to email it to me. You know, <laughs> yeah. we, we, right? we know about these the, the email campaigns, right? You're probably thinking, well, I don't need that right now. At some point, you're probably going to email me with a, a 10, 15, maybe 20% discount or a sale or whatever. This isn't exactly a loyalty scheme. It was an investment thing. Um, do you, you know BrewDog, the beer company? BrewDog, yep. Yeah. Um, so when they did their, uh, their shares, uh, like crowdfunding, I suppose, that was tiered quite like a, a loyalty program, really. The more you invested, the more rewards they gave you. So I think if you invested, I think it might be £500, you got a, a card which gives you 10% off in BrewDog stores for life or in BrewDog um, you know, locations, uh, I think, for life. And it went all the way up to you know getting a free private tour of the, uh, of the actual brewery itself. So the, the more you invested, the more engaged you were, you were with the company the more they rewarded you. We as like, we as humans are drawn to exclusivity and like, we want things that other people don't have. So like them doing that, like it allowed you to get something that the average person isn't getting. Like we all want to feel special. So like, I love, I love those types of rewards. And like the crowdfunding aspect of it is a lot of things that are on Kickstarter are actually like really good things to take like inspiration from as they tear up, yeah. what additional benefits, what additional perks are you giving? Like that has become a key component of a Kickstarter, but there is so much learning that we can take from that and apply it to a direct to consumer and e-com loyalty program. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I've not looked on Kickstarter for a little while actually, but I do remember you'll you'll look through the um, the incentives. What do they call them? The like backing tiers or whatever. Yeah, they're called wh- wh- yeah. whatever they're called. The backing tiers. Quite often, if they have done them correctly, if they have you know really thought through what they're going to offer at each stage and for each value, you quite often do see that some of the higher value what they call funding donations what am i talking about yeah backers uh, i don't know <laughs> backers some of the higher level ones are are more subscribed than the ones that are you know like your, your board game right if it says backers for a hundred dollars will give you a free a, a copy of the board game when it's live or backers for two hundred dollars and you'll get the board game plus a limited edition set of the the cards or or, or whatever part of it yeah, you end up seeing people in like that first tier, like at the beginning, like I want the thing. And then you see people on like the other side where it's like, I am super invested in this. I want this to be integrated into how like for board, like board, I'm a board game nerd. Like I want to be able to say to my friends, I have all these extra pieces of this because I backed it. And knowing when I backed it, that that's the only time this is ever going to happen. So like no one yeah. else is going to get that. Like I feel special. There's an exclusivity to this. And you're right. The ones in the middle are kind of just like, oh, how do I get you to move up one backing tier where the ones at the end are like, how do I get the diehards to really invest into this and like really feel a sense of ownership? Yeah, exactly. And, and going back to loyalty programs, I think you can do you can do loads of things like, uh, like you said, you know, meet the founders or you know, exclusive workshops or, you know, just exclusive events and things. And these don't even have to be things that really cost you that much. But if you make them sound really cool and really fun, then people will spend the money, they'll leave the reviews, they'll uh, refer their friends to get the points to get to that level. 100%. Uh, you mentioned to me last time we spoke about how pro- product catalogs can affect retention. Um, do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, we've, we've kind of hit on it a bit, but the, the, you kind of hear metrics thrown around for retention, like, oh, you should be looking for a 30% returning customer rate. You should be looking for this. You should be looking for these benchmarks. And those are great to get started. But again, what you sell is going to have a lot of times has a bigger impact on your retention, like on what you can do on retention than anything else, than the loyalty program, than the emails or anything like that. We had the mattress and the coffee example. So like, there's one thing, but the the product catalog, you talked about like complementary or like supplementary products. How can I start to bundle and piece these things together? Or one of my favorite examples of this is say you sell jewelry. Jewelry is not something that is purchased very frequently, but like, say you bought a silver chain and now I have a complementary product, which is a silver polishing kit. Maybe I don't offer that as a bundle at the start, I, I offer the silver chain. And then at like the 60 day window, I, I send a follow-up that says like, Hey, you're probably starting to see some tarnish on that, on what you bought. Here's our silver polish kit. Like I'm coming in with a value add and it's about like additional products that I can offer. So like the catalog I built around like my hero or my main products is actually driving retention and probably at a better clip than any of the things I do to surround it. Yeah. So again, I suppose it comes into those complementary products, right? Um, how can you how can you encourage someone to buy a second product that is related to something else that bought? Um, that's that's probably going to be much more effective than you bought product A. Why don't, why don't you buy product B? Yeah, it's exactly exactly. And you hit on it with you hit on it with like asking people what they want is like there's a piece of this because if you just say like, hey, our best selling product is product A. 
you bought that. Our second best selling product is product B. If you just assume based on like the sales data, what people want, like, are those two things complementary to one another? Is there a value add reason to be pitching product B after product A, where a more effective strategy might be, again, the sample pack, okay, pitch the most popular favor in the sample pack, the silver chain, pitch the, pitch the polishing kit. Like there's ways where you can add to the experience with additional products more so than just like, okay, what's the next product we want you to buy? Yeah. And I think you can, you can tie in your loyalty program with this as well. Right. And it's, it's something that I, I don't see very much at all. Um, I've worked with a couple of businesses on, on implementing this a little bit, but you know, just like your example with the silver, um, silver necklace and silver polish, right. They make their first purchase to get the silver necklace. That's creating an account, making the purchase, getting enough points for a reward. That reward could be free shipping or, or free uh, or a 10% off or something. And you can tie that in to say, well, you know, maybe you want to buy the polish, by the way, you've got a reward to use. And then you've got exactly. that kind of, you, you coming at people from two angles to say, well, you know, you've got two great reasons to buy this now. You've, you've got the rewards, you've got free shippings, you might as well use it. And you also probably do need this product. There's a switching, like a switching barrier associated with it, right? It's like, hey, once you're holding on to that value, I have a very easy way to say, hey, don't lose that value, come and, come and use it. But the, what you're saying there is like, it's actually a level up where it's not just like, hey, don't, don't lose that. Or like you're holding value, come do something with it. It's, hey, I know, like, Will, I know you're going to need this thing. You're also sitting on some points. Now I've leveled up the reason to come and like buy this thing. You both need it in a value add way from what you bought before, but you're also holding on to value to put towards it right now. You should come and do that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'd like to see more brands trying that out. Um, because at the moment, yeah, loyalty does seem to, it just has its own automation sequences, right? Uh, you get you get your triggers for, oh, here's a reward or here's your monthly statement, but it's never really integrated with uh, automation flows or campaigns or anything to say, you know, if you, if you do this, you're going to earn this many points. That's enough points for a, a reward or sending out a campaign and saying, well, uh, include in this campaign for everyone who's got a reward available, um, which is pretty easy to do because you get that data in Clavio or your, in, on whatever email system. We talked about at the beginning with like the balance and there's no silver bullet in retention. Like even, okay, we just picked like a very specific retention tactic and loyalty programs. And we've already said like, okay, integrate it into email, integrate it into all these other areas. Like it's all so connected that like there is not one tactic that's going to work. And even if you do choose a tactic, you need to like, you need to integrate it into everything else. So loyalty program on its own is not going to be motivating just because you have it. You need that email component. You need like, it could be like we were talking about like a, a different product catalog for the rewards. Like you need to, you need to build a strategy around a couple tactics in retention rather than being like, everyone should do this. This is like the industry standard. Let's do it. Cool. If you want to pick up the industry standard, do it. But how are you going to integrate it into your brand? How are you going to integrate it into that customer experience? Because like the tool on its own is not going to do it. It's the experience yeah. that you build around it. Yeah, I mean, I could go on this about this for a while because I think that's that's almost one of the issues with Shopify. You know, I think Shopify is great and the app stores and the marketplace is great, but it's so easy just to start adding apps to your site and assume that each app individually is going to ch change the world and, uh, and and really make a difference to growth. But you've actually got to work out how they interact with each other and 
and all that. But uh, yeah, we can go into that uh, another time. Um, but this kind of leads me into uh, you know what I know. We talked about um, there is that lack of that product project manager or product manager for retention. But what challenges do brands face with retention at the moment? I think we kind of hit on this already too, is I feel like because retention is in it, like retention marketing or like focusing on this side of the e-commerce equation is relatively new. I'd say like in the last five years is when people have really started to think about this. And I think the biggest problem or challenge that brands have right now is we don't necessarily know how to keep score. So we say it's, we need, especially in like consumer packaged goods, like food, Bev, beauty, it's okay. How do we get someone to a subscription? How do we force someone like directly into a subscription? Like that is retention if we can get them into there. So like, I see that a lot. And again, I think it comes down to not necessarily knowing how to keep score of what you're doing. And I think one of the biggest things is we all want to look at like that King retention metric, which is customer lifetime value or lifetime value. It's also super hard to calculate it. Most Shopify brands haven't been in existence long enough to actually measure it in a meaningful way. So yeah. I'd say like, that's the biggest thing is like choosing how you're going to measure it and not trying to like force a metric that's good for your brand. It's if you're going to do retention, right, you need to choose something that's both good for you, the brand. And if you're doing right by the customer, you'll also see it increase. Yeah. I think that last bit is key, right? Uh, I mean, it's what we've been talking about the whole time. It's why you've got that hat on. It's, you know, <laughs> always be thinking about the customer. How How is this going to be beneficial to the customer? How is this going to make their their life, their experience better. And, you know, that's why, you know, that product upsell is, you know, we're not going to sell you a gold chain next. We're going to sell you the silver polish kit because that's what makes sense to you as the customer. But what would make sense to the, to the business is you've spent, I don't know, $500 on a silver chain. So why don't we try and get you to spend 750 on a gold chain? Yep. Putting the customer hat on, like, it's easy to say, it's hard to do. Like, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anyone in the DTC marketing space or, or anyone at a particular company that you'd want to go for lunch with? I'd want to go out for lunch with. I think there's a few. I've gotten like, I've been more of a LinkedIn guy in the past, but I've gotten more into Twitter. So I think like some of the Twitter personalities would be really interesting to have lunch with, maybe like Nick Sharma or like Chris Cantino or one of those guys. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Nick Sharma's come up a few times actually. Awesome. And if you could recommend a, a couple of marketing tools that you think are really, really great for D2C brands, what would they be? Oh, on the retention side, I feel like everyone, everyone's probably already using them, but like Clavio is a go-to retention tool for me. Um, on the loyalty side, a tool like Smile um, is a great call. Also like shameless plug, uh, repeat if you're in the CPG space, it just makes reordering easier. So you don't need to push someone into subscription. You can just make it easy to buy again. Um, I think those would be like my go-to retention tools in the D2C space right now. Yeah, cool. So that last one repeats an interesting one because um, the conversations, you know, I've had conversations about subscriptions and how, you know, you might need a repeat purchase on a subscription, but the subscription period is not necessarily what you want, right? Generally defaults to 30 days. But if you consume that product differently, 30 days doesn't work. So the ability to just say, yep, reorder it. That's, uh, that's what that's what repeat's all about is, again, like the customer versus the brand side of thing. There's a million reasons why a subscription is good for a brand. And we, as brands, we tend to say, oh, subscription is convenient. 
for the reasons you talked about, it's not always convenient. It's coming too soon. It's coming too late. It's coming like my, I have to justify this purchase to my wife every single month. Right. But just saying, Hey, I want to get it again, but I don't want to commit to subscription yet. That's what repeat's all about. Yeah. Again, I suppose subscription is convenient for the company, right? You know how, you know how many subscribers you've got, how much product you've got to send out and when, but yeah, I feel like we could have a whole nother conversation about that. So, um, yeah, this has been absolutely fantastic. Great stuff. Um, if people want to want to reach out, find out more, what's the best way of doing that? Yeah, if you want to connect with me, um, LinkedIn or Twitter, um, Alex McEachern on LinkedIn and at AlexMCEA on Twitter. Um, we also have a podcast that repeats. Uh, it's called The Shelf Life. You can find it on Apple Podcasts uh, or basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you want to know, if you want to know more about Repeat, uh, you can find us at GetRepeat.io. Awesome. Thank you so much. That was fantastic stuff there from Alex. And as you heard, retention isn't simple. It's not just setting up some email flows. Automation is a great way to build retention, but it's essential to have a proper strategy behind it and not just setting up some generic flows you've copied from a template. A lot goes into retention. I myself would argue that retention starts with conversion. If you can convert someone for the right reasons and your product does live up to its promises, you'll have a far better chance of retaining someone. But you've also got to consider the immediate post-purchase experience, the unboxing of the product and customer service. These all play a big part in retaining customers. If you'd like to hear more from Alex and learn more about retention, reach out to him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them to will at customerswhoclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Amanda Holberg joining me from Claire, a US-based company disrupting the interior paint market. But until then, keep those customers clicking.